Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, and the most upright of them like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Bittersweet. When your life is nearly over and you look back through time for the word that sums it all up, that will probably be the right word. Life is bitter because of the presence of sin, God's curse against it, and the effects it has on our lives. Life is sweet because of the grace of God both common grace and his grace in salvation. Relationships, loving and being loved, make life sweet. But what relationships don't also have their moments of bitterness? The use of skill toward excellence in work, the sweetness of success and of a job well done, balanced in this life with the bitterness of sweat and toil and failure. The book of Micah, you'll remember, is not exactly a book. It's a collection of oracles, ancient sermons of God given throughout Micah's life, collected together and organized for a theological purpose. Here, late in his life and ministry, we can see how Micah felt about the whole experience. Bittersweet. For decades, he's been calling on God's people to repent. Warning, Israel, uh, warning Israel's evil-doing elites about the coming judgment. But for all of this faithful preaching year after year, little has changed. Don't you expect that he had higher hopes when he started? Given the power of the word of God, the forgiveness offered to those who repent, God's grace for those who trust in him, and this imminent, visible threat of judgment God is bringing during Micah's preaching. Micah expected the people to heed his warnings and to turn back to God in repentance and faith. But here, at the end of his ministry, Micah faces the harsh reality that for the most part, People do not listen. In this penultimate oracle, he is still threatening judgment on those who refuse to repent. But here he begins not with woes for them, but with the self-referential, woe is me. His warning comes through tears because Micah tastes the bitterness 
of their persistent sin. He describes his feelings by way of the allegory in verse 1. A hungry man comes to find a field of fruit trees. Just what he needs for nourishment. Just what he needs for relief from his struggle. But instead of fruit, he finds only empty trees. He longed for fruit. And this was the place where that longing was to be fulfilled. You see the trees off in the distance. But when you come up close... They have nothing to offer. All the fruit's been taken already. And there's nothing left for you. That is the bitterness of ministry that is apparently unsuccessful. For years he labored among these people. For years he gave God's word to them and pleaded with them to live by faith. Yet other than a very brief time of repentance under King Hezekiah, Micah's congregation continually walked further from God year after year. Micah wanted godliness to reign in Israel, God's people living for God's glory. But here at the end of his ministry, things are no better than when he started. People are living not for God, but for themselves. They pervert justice. They take advantage mercilessly of others. And they do not walk circumspectly with God. Like a fruit tree without fruit, the spiritual harvest in Israel is bitterly disappointing. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The modern church has also struggled with the bitterness of ministry in this world. The crowds simply do not want the plodding, simple ministry of the word. They want more exciting pursuits, more emotionally satisfying experiences than the slow spiritual transformation toward holy living that God offers his people through worship. And so churches clamor to give people what they want instead of what they need. Israel needed the voice of the Lord. For decades, Micah had offered them the voice of the Lord, but that's not what they wanted. They would offer rivers of oil as grandiose offerings and every fatted calf they could find for sacrifice. But they would not give God what he actually required. Listen to his voice. Repent of your sin and live in covenant faithfulness with God and man. And so Micah laments, woe is me. He laments because Israel's moral climate is utterly bitter. Verses 2 through 6 are heartbreaking, but they're not exaggerated. They're a description of how bad things have become, how bad things will become in every society, large or small, ancient or modern, when people will not heed the voice of God. It starts as indifference. I don't need to hear it. It starts as indifference toward God, but it inevitably produces indifference toward our fellow man, And indifference produces neglect, and then antipathy, and contempt, and hate. Micah's description of the wicked in verses 2, 3, and 4 are true of many in Israel, but his lament once again highlights the leaders. People go as they are led, and Micah hoped to find Israel's leading in repentance and holiness, but instead they were the most morally corrupt of all, the prince and the judge and the great man. 
Understood as an allegory, Israel is the vineyard where the fruit of holiness should be found. And the missing grapes and figs are faithful followers of God. His soul craved that they would be there, but they're not. The first ripe figs are righteous leaders. Micah and God desired to find righteous leaders in Israel, but could not. And instead, throughout the years of Micah's ministry, what he found was a system that was purposefully corrupt. Verse 3 suggests that all the leaders, the various kinds, have a hand in this. All their hands are weaving together this net of evil to catch unsuspecting victims. They threaten and coerce in order to steal. Unjust judges find favor of the attackers rather than the victims. It's all the stuff we've been reading about for six chapters. Kids, the world has made an idol out of leadership, to be sure. But if God does call us to lead, we're to do it with godliness, even in the small things. Leading a team for a game or an activity among friends is in God's eyes no different than leading a family or a great business. Godly leaders do what's best for the whole group. They do what's best for the long term. But Israel's leaders were doing what was best for themselves and for the sake of short-term gain. Look at the two metaphors Micah uses for these leaders. He says these leaders are hunters. They lie in wait and they trap their victims. And it says that they're a hedge of thorns and briars. They're an obstruction to justice when the people want to get to justice, when they want to get what's right. These leaders stand painfully in the way, closing it off to them. Every responsibility to lead is a responsibility given by God. And it is sin to use leadership to hurt the very people we're supposed to be helping. And this is the kind of godless behavior that Micah has been calling out against for decades. To avoid God's judgment, Israel's leaders have to hear God's voice and stop this wickedness. But they don't stop. They want what they want. And they despise what they need. This is the bitterness of Micah's ministry. And the result of Israel's bitter sin is more bitterness in judgment. Look, the day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Micah is himself one of Israel's watchmen. He's warned them many times about the forthcoming destruction, about Jerusalem falling at the hands of the Babylonians. He's tried to warn them, to tell them to stop. And that judgment still holds. It will yet come. But here, he brings up a more immediate judgment that they might not even realize is connected to their evil. He calls it confusion. It's societal confusion. Namely, their relationships are miserable and getting worse. What should have been the closest bonds in society are being ripped apart. One scholar says all the bonds of covenant have completely broken down. Look at the progression of relationships in verse 4. Micah starts with neighbors and then friends. And finally starts listing people within your own household. 
Each of these relationships should add sweetness to life. But here it's only bitterness. Neighbors cannot be trusted. Friends will betray you. One writer says it resembles a pit of vipers, and another says the community is unraveling and coming apart at the tightest seams. Look here, it says a man cannot even trust his wife with secrets or personal thoughts. She will use them against him. It says that children, instead of honoring their parents, treat them with contempt and rise up against them as though they're enemies. And what caused all this? Sin. Refusal to hear and heed the voice of God. When any group of people take a stance of indifference toward God, it will always lead to the breakdown of human relationships. Always. God judges Israel here with confusion by simply giving them what they wanted. They live according to their own desires. They ignore the vertical relationship they're supposed to have with him. But you cannot ignore the vertical relationship and maintain good horizontal relationships with others. When we lack peace and joy in our relationships, especially in our own homes, sin is at the root. Not differences of opinion, not contrasting personalities, sin is at the root. To recover peace and joy in our homes, we do not need a change in personnel. We do not need a change in circumstances. We need repentance and holiness. Soon, God will judge Israel by sending the Babylonians to conquer them and take them into captivity. Just as soon, God's judgment will come against all unrepentant sinners as he casts them into hell. But prior to that, even now, God says he judges wicked society through the confusing reality of sin's consequences. He gives people, even whole societies, over to the evil that they love and its consequences. He allows us to reap what we have sown. If you live only for self, if you treat life as a zero-sum game where I cannot win unless you lose... It's no wonder that relationships have broken down in Israel. Their sin has hit home. I certainly don't recommend it, but this is something you can test. It's pretty easy. Live selfishly. Take advantage of others at every opportunity. Engage in relationships with no greater goal than to win. Test this out, and you will see how bitter life can be. You shouldn't, of course. But many do, even whole societies. Another pastor observes, this is the situation in society now, as it deliberately turns from God. The Ten Commandments are considered an unfair intrusion into civil life. Biblical standards are rejected as out of date. Modern restraints in sexual conduct, speech, and public affairs are removed, and the result is chaotic misery in which everyone must fend for himself and no one can be trusted. People think that life without God will be sweet. 
They think that their sin, unrestrained, will make them happy. But that's not how life works. Without hearing and heeding the voice of God, without repenting of our sin and taking hold of his amazing grace by faith, life's bitterness will ultimately consume us. This is not some ancient folly that we're too enlightened to commit. Nor is this something that's only possible for people who are far from the church. Remember, Micah ministered not in Babylon, but in Israel. These were God's people. They had all of the covenant advantages. How can such confusion come about, asked one reformer. And he answered, because they turned aside from God. They were indifferent to the voice of God. Unchecked sin does not resolve itself. As bad as things are in Micah's time, their collective refusal to acknowledge this sin and repent means that this isn't even the worst of it. And seeing where this is headed, being the watchman on the tower, Micah says, woe is me. Seeing where this was headed, Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. He saw the sin-induced catastrophe of his day. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations, she who was princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. She has none to comfort. And of course, seeing where this was headed, seeing the consequences of unchecked sin, it was Jesus who said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See your house. It is desolate. How does a society get here? The same way a church does. The same way a family does. The same way an individual does. Refusal to hear and heed the voice of God. One Hebrew scholar identifies this as the point of Micah's two closing oracles. Micah is highlighting a choice And a result from that choice. We can listen. Listen to the voice of God. And adopt his standard in our lives. And the result is peace and joy in our relationships. And hope for the future. The result is bitter sweet. Not just bitter. Or. We can instead declare ourselves as judge our own desires as supreme. And as a result, we will live in the oppressive fog of distrust and injustice we create. And make no mistake, without repentance, it would be unkind. It would be unloving. It would certainly be unholy for God to ignore people and societies that choose the latter. 
We think we want God to be indifferent to our sin and just leave us alone, but that's not what we need. He cannot and should not be indifferent. Sin brings death. And God is gracious to give us these short-term judgments of bitterness if that's what it takes to draw us toward repentance. If you're struggling to enjoy sweetness in relationships with your neighbors, your friends, within your own household, take heed of God's voice and find the sin that is to blame. Where is he calling you to justice and mercy and humility? I say you, not because it's all your fault, but because you cannot change them. But even when others around you are committed to the bitterness of this life, you can yet find sweetness in the fruit of the Spirit that God will produce in you. You live with the kind of holiness and self-control that promotes joy. You live as one who remembers that bitter sweet is preferable to just plain bitter. Now, Micah's congregation is not giving him anything to work with. He craved the summer fruit. He craved the first ripe fig of holiness. He craved some sweetness in his life. And the people around him only gave him bitterness instead. But... Isn't that the word which so often highlights the goodness of God? (laughs) But as for me, but there is still hope. Micah says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah knows that with God, there is always hope for sweetness. Paul said to the church in Ephesus, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Only God's voice can interrupt the hopeless path of human sin. And if we will listen to it, God's voice can always interrupt the hopeless path of human sin. You think you've got things to be bitter about. You think the people around you are giving you nothing to work with in these relationships. You're bitter because they make them bitter. Look at Micah. One pastor said when the prophet looks at Jerusalem, his heart is embittered. So he turns and looks to the Lord and he renews his hope. Verse 7 is a hinge between these last two oracles, this one of lament and the one of hope and restoration that concludes the book. Things in Israel look bad. They are bad, and they will get worse. But Micah, while living and ministering in that bitter world, fixes his eye on the only thing that can produce some sweetness. He will look to the Lord. He will pray. He will wait. He will hope. He will trust in his 
God. He knows this will work, not because his circumstances are good. He knows this will work because God is good. He will savor the sweetness of God's salvation even among the bitterness of life in a fallen world. The prophet Habakkuk also experienced the bitterness of ministry to an unrepentant people. It's kind of the theme of the whole Old Testament prophets, if you don't know. But among Habakkuk's oracles of woe and judgment, you find this song. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Sound like your life sometimes? Sound like life in this bitter world? Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, But I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. My high places. Though far from perfect, There is sweetness to be enjoyed in our relationships. Your life has high places by the grace of God, too. There is sweet satisfaction to be found in our labors. Regardless of what others choose and do through godliness, we can ripen even bitter fruits into something delightful and satisfying. Because of what God has done for you in Christ, Your life is never only bitter. The sweet is always within our grasp. Like Micah, our God hears us when we cry out to him. When all else seems bitter, our God hears us and he answers us when we cry out to him. Like Micah, his voice offers us comfort and hope. Like Micah, he is the God of our salvation. None of life's bitterness can ever take that away. So Christian, hear him. Walk with him. Love your neighbor. And so produce the the sweet fruit for which he and you and Micah all long, the fruit that our souls desire. Bring forth in your own life, by the power of the Spirit, bring forth self-control and joy and peace and all the like through obedience to God. As though your life will have bitter times. And though people around you may choose to be bitter about them all. Let's show them by our way of living that bitterness is always a choice. And we choose joy. Whatever comes, we don't choose the bitter fruit of this life. We taste and see that the Lord, he is good.